In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved, it is a joy to be gathered with you tonight and for us to commit ourselves to tomorrow to be about the work of mission and ministry in our diocese. It is convention, family reunion time, without the bad potato salad, family reunion time, people to meet, stories to share, common bonds to strengthen, and months of preparation go into this gathering. This week of convention in the diocesan office has a special name. To be honest, it has many names. Um, But my favorite name is Chocolate Week, with treats appearing to strengthen for some long days and some uh, well-worn nerves at times. Not sure if chocolate actually works, but it certainly doesn't hurt. Two weeks ago this hour, I was on my way to Washington, D.C. for the installation and investiture of the 27th presiding bishop on All Saints Day. Well documented in many ways, a variety of emotions and feelings and the experience of being gathered in the Cathedral Church of St. Peter and St. Paul, otherwise known as Washington National Cathedral to come together as people of faith within the Anglican tradition, to refocus ourselves once again on the Great Commission, what it means to be the people of God, and what it means for us to be gathered before the altar of Christ. It was incredibly moving. As Bishop Curry was seated in the cathedral, the bishop's chair at the National Cathedral for the presiding bishop, and perhaps even more so as Bishop Catherine handed Bishop Michael the pastoral staff of the presiding bishop, primate, and chief pastor. Though the two bishops had earlier blessed the assembly with baptismal water, I dare say even more water fell from the eyes of hundreds as the first African-American became chief pastor of the church known from our beginning in this country as a church with no small amount of privilege and power. If you take the crossing of the cathedral with the altar here and the lectern, I was about five rows over that way. Had a great view of what was taking place there at the altar, and a great view of the preacher, the presiding bishop. And if you haven't yet had a chance to see all of it or snip it, if you weren't watching, could I just see how many of you saw something from the National Cathedral? And a lot of hands up here. I can see that, yeah. Uh, uh, Or if you've ever been present at Provincial Synod or in any other way heard or seen Bishop Curry preach, you know the energy that he brings. The man is a walking revival. And I'm sitting there partway through his homily and being moved and inspired 
and enthralled and either figuratively or literally on the edge of my seat and being so engrossed in the sermon. But I had this brief moment where I thought to myself, are you kidding me? I will never be able to preach like this guy. (laughs) But that's part of the point, is it not, of baptism and being in the body of Christ. We all have gifts. We all proclaim the gospel. And we all are placed through the power of the Spirit in a place to convey the love of God in Christ given for us and showered upon us. We're going to hear a bit from Michael, our presiding bishop, in this convention tomorrow. I have been blessed to have some heroes in preaching. And one of my favorite preachers who entered eternal life at the end of July 2011 is the Reverend John Stott, Church of England priest, evangelist, and scholar. Ninety years young, he completed his ministry in this life and went on to be in the nearer presence of God. British columnist David Williams wrote that Dr. Stott's death was a watershed moment in the history of evangelicalism. Stott represented a faith which was not neo-fundamentalism, but a bold effort to engage and love a rapidly changing world. It was a renewal movement in Christianity and Anglicanism and reformational in spirit. Its major focus was sharing theology with men and women, the baptized, in recognition that they were priests on the front line. In contrast with the pietism of past generations, this infusion of knowledge was intended to spur an outpouring of love. Not only was the traditional evangelical emphasis on the Great Commission of disciple-making celebrated, so was the great commandment of loving your neighbor. Stott defied labels. He was deeply committed to the need for social, economic, and political justice, and passionately concerned about climate change and ecological ethics long before others picked up that baton. He regarded the Bible as his supreme authority and related its teaching to all areas of knowledge and experience. I like this. He insisted that Christians should engage in double listening to the word of God and to the world around them and apply their biblical faith to all the pressing issues of contemporary culture. He was an accomplished researcher And he preached and wrote on a wide range of matters, from global debt to global warming, from the duties of the state to medical ethics and euthanasia. This was the kind of faith he embodied. Now make no mistake, he preached the salvation of souls consistently and first. But he listened to the word of God and to the world around him. He wouldn't be recognizable to perhaps some fire and brimstone types, 
He was a humble scholar whose 50-some books counseled Christians to emulate the life of Jesus, especially the Lord's concern for the poor and oppressed. And he was very clear that our faith in the crucified and risen Lord called us to confront social ills like racial oppression and pollution. One of my favorite quotes from his book, The Cross of Christ, Mr. Stott wrote, Good Samaritans will always be needed to succor those who are assaulted and robbed. Yet it would be even better to rid the Jerusalem-Jericho road of brigands. My sisters and brothers, brigands abound. Thieves of various types. But we who are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus engaged in double listening to the word of God and to our sisters and brothers in our neighborhoods, nation, and world, will consistently and lovingly and authentically be people of hope. In our lives as disciples and together as the body of Christ, we preach in word and action, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants of all people, not for our sake, not for the sake of a congregation or a diocese, not for the sake of the pledge envelope, but for the sake of Jesus. Our first lesson from Isaiah contains some of Holy Scripture's most inviting, uplifting, hope-filled verses. Now, i got to warn you, my autocorrect would not accept the first word in the lesson, ho. Instead, it went, it went, yo. So, <laughs> yo, everyone thirsty, exhausted, weary, traveling through a desert of whatever kind, come drink water deeply. Yo, have no money? Come buy food and eat. I mean... Where does that come from? Because the cost is already covered. What a great lesson for us to feast on. Let's just take, it's Friday evening. Been quite a week, hasn't it? Quite a week for a lot of us. Long drive, stuck in traffic for how long? We all come here with at least one burden on our heart something we have been carrying with us for some time and continue, and we may have learned from others the need to carry alongside a sister or brother. And as if the prophet knows each of us, the prophet promises that God's word is anything but empty. It shall, it does, accomplish in God's people the life and hope needed to quench any thirst and feed every hunger. Unless God's people be skeptical, or at least a little on the smart-alecky side, Isaiah sings with confidence, For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace, the mountains and hills before you shall break into singing. Are they obstacles or are they, you know, background for all of this? We don't know, but they break forth into singing and all the trees of the field clap their hands. And this everlasting sign never goes away. 
It uplifts, it inspires, it encourages, it propels us into the very creation to be servants of hope. That's good news. That's evangelism. And the script has already been written written for us. And the most effective good news telling often happens in relationship and usually involves listening rather than speaking. Bishop Stephen Charlson asks, Who will you bless today? Whose life will you touch with a hint of grace? One of the most joyful things about being a person of faith is the awareness that we all have the ability to change reality. Not with magic, but with mercy. We have the power to impart a word of understanding, a gesture of kindness, an act of grace, to give a safety net, to provide a rope, to reach out a hand. We can lighten the load of a troubled heart, listen with compassion to another person's story, share some of our strength to support a good cause. Each day we are offered a series of choices to add our blessings into life. What will you choose to do today for Jesus' sake? Reality is changed with mercy. Violence. Some of you know that Paris is reeling from horrible violence right now. Racial injustice, poverty, insert whatever else, all is changeable with God's mercy. And the change mercy affects begins with each of us. Paul writes that he has his ministry, and so I'm going to say, thus we have ours, by the mercy of God. That is the mystery we are baptized into. And in the thanksgiving over baptismal water, the celebrant thanks God for the gift of water. In it, we are buried with Christ in his death. By it, we share in his resurrection. Through it, we are reborn by the Holy Spirit. As disciples of Jesus, therefore, we are constantly dying to something in order to rise to new life. It's the same in our congregations and in our diocese. This cycle of spiritual life in Christ repeats. For our journey deeper into God's heart lasts until we breathe our last and then continues in God's nearer presence as the great prayer book's prayer says, as we go from strength to strength. The paschal mystery tends to our lives and the life of the church like a vine dresser, cutting out that which has died, pruning so that where there is a bit of fruit, a bit of hope, even more hope and fruit is produced. Tonight's gospel reading goes on to promise that as disciples keep the Lord's commands, we abide in his love. 
Now, do your study work, and you can take commands one of two ways, and I'm going to go both ways, okay? Though the gospel, through the, the gospels, Jesus commands us along these lines, such as to be our brother's keeper, to judge not, to forgive without counting how many times, to empty ourselves in order to serve, to love our neighbor, to be aware of those pesky possessions, perhaps even sell them all, to fish for people, and not just in the shallow end, but go deeper and deeper. And there are more commands in the gospel, but we could take the hermeneutic and say, this is really referring to the great commandment. Abide in my love because you will love one another as I have loved you. We'll put them both together. Tonight, once again, you and I have an honored place at this banquet. We know by grace we are here. We've earned nothing. We haven't qualified in any other way. But we are here because of the great love for us poured out in Jesus Christ. And we expect to be transformed in this holy meal. If the Lord comes into us in this most holy sacrament, then how much indeed are we converted? Start brand new for whatever we need to. Strengthen that which is weak and bolster that which, by grace, we're doing pretty well with. From this place we go forth as individuals, but on this weekend we go forth as a people united together with common vision, with common commitment, with an understanding that we are the church in this vineyard known as the Diocese of Kentucky. Bishop Curry likes to talk about Galilee. They did that a lot in the Diocese of North Carolina. And it borrows from the resurrection of Count which says he is not here. He is risen, and he has gone before you into Galilee. Now go. Find him. Christ is risen and has gone ahead of us. We indeed are to go and find him where he is already transforming reality with the same mercy we ourselves have received. And the same mercy that can continue to transform and change. Beloved, on our journey, as on the Jerusalem-Jericho road, as Dr. Stott promised, there are brigands out there, thieves of various types, beating up on God's people, preying on the most vulnerable of God's sisters of our own sisters and brothers, and thieves taking a toll on God's own creation. We must engage and love a rapidly changing world, emphasizing the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, and emulate Jesus' concern for the poor and the oppressed.
So let's go. Go out farther. Go out deeper. Being more vulnerable than ever. Showing more mercy than ever. Mercy that makes no human sense. Being more unified than ever. Because we are one. We are together.